0: Uh, we are in the book of Acts and uh, as we're looking, as we've been through uh, the last couple weeks is, is really setting us up. It's been setting us up for what the church is about because uh, last week uh, we saw Peter's sermon. And if you'll remember, the Holy Spirit came down on the 120 in the upper room. And it was evidenced by um, uh, uh, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it was evidenced by the tongues of fire on all the people. And it says they spoke in languages so that everyone could hear. And they spoke the mighty words of God. They spoke the Old Testament. They went back into what they knew. And they shared with people in many, many different languages. There's at least 16 that are mentioned that they spoke in. And in speaking the mighty words of God, they, some people scratch their head and say, what does this mean? I mean, they're, they're seeing the start of the church through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're seeing all of this. And then Peter got up and preached And we know that the outcome of that, that was 3,000 got saved in that day. And it says they went down, took them down to the river, or down to uh, the pools, wherever they could find enough water to dunk them in. And they baptized them. It was added to the church that day, 3,000 souls. The church was beginning. Now, can you imagine being all of these these 3,000 people, being the 120 or even being the 12 apostles, there is no Church 101. There is nothing that says, oh, this is how you build a church. You know, when I, when I went to college, uh, you know, we had, you know, classes on, oh, how do you start a church? We, we had, you know, we would send teams out, and they would, they would go out and this is how you do it, a formula. There was no formula. The formula was the Holy Spirit. And so all of a sudden you have have these 3,000 people baptized by the Holy Spirit, coming together from many different nations. You know, we're lucky we all speak English here. That makes it pretty easy. But here they are coming together, and it's like, what do we do now? What's going to happen? So today, we're going to look at how the church acts. How? How? When they originally started, what was it that the Holy Spirit laid on their hearts to say? This is what a church does. So we're going to be in Acts chapter two, and we're going to start in verse forty-two to forty-seven. Not a long, uh, not a long. Uh, passage today, but it is packed full of what they were doing, Acts 2, 42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. As we look at what was happening in the church uh the first thing I want you to see is they were continually devoted. Continually devoted. And we're going to, and the very first, that very first verse talks about what they did together. And, uh, you know, one of the nice things about this is to understand they were continually devoted. It was not a Sunday kind of thing. You see, we get used to that, don't we? We only have to, devote one day a week to the Lord. We come on Sunday and we get to see all of our brothers and sisters in Christ and then we go home all week, right? And the church doesn't exist. Well, wait, what? You see, church isn't, they weren't going to church because that's what we usually do, isn't it? We go to church. You know what they were doing? They were being the church. They were being the church because, see, for them, it wasn't Sunday service. It was Sunday service and Monday service and Tuesday service and Wednesday service and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Every day they were together and and they were ministering to one another. Now, what did the church do together together? And uh, and we're gonna. That's the first verse that we see here. And they there was four things that they did together when they came together. And the very first thing was the apostles teaching. They were together in the apostles teaching. Now remember, they didn't have the New Testament. It was going to be written. Matter of fact. Luke is going to write the book that we see here many years later after Paul had uh, had finished his third missionary journey and was in prison in Rome. And Paul is going to write the majority of the New Testament. And they didn't have any of that. They didn't have as I said church 101. And so the apostles were doing two things. One is they were going back to the Old Testament. Because now what did they have? They had the fulfillment that Jesus did in both his his birth and his life, his death and his resurrection. They could take them back into the Old Testament and just as they did on the day of Pentecost when they spoke the mighty deeds of God... They were preaching from the Old Testament because that's what was available to them. The other thing that was happening is that they were preaching what the Holy Spirit laid on their heart. They were, they were teaching one another. And a lot of this is on the fly. We're going to see as we go through the, uh, the book of Acts that there were a lot of times when the, when the apostles would get together and say, okay, guys, we've got a problem. The Greek widows are not being served. What are we going to do about it? Oh, Philip's up here in Philippi and people are coming to Christ that that are are not Jewish. What are we going to do about it? Oh, we got Judaizers up here in these places that are are telling people that, that they not only need to be saved, but they need to follow the Jewish traditions. What are we going to do about it? That was all happening through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was teaching the apostles and the apostles in turn were teaching the people. And can you imagine, so so I want you to think about this. There's 12 apostles and there's at least 3,000 initially that get saved. This was no small thing. They were teaching hundreds if not thousands at a time and they would get together and they would, they would listen to what the apostles uh, had to say. But it didn't stop there. It says they fellowship together. They fellowship together. Now what does that fellowship mean? Fellowship is one of those things where when God begins to work in our, our lives, we want to hang out with people that are like-minded. We want to, hey, I saw you at church the other day. I want to get to know you. I saw you, you were down listening to the apostles down by the temple. And you speak my language. I mean, there was probably these small groups of, of, of foreigners that had come as, as Jews to hear, to, to celebrate the festivals. And now they got saved. And they're getting together. And they're talking about... What the apostles said. But, but fellowship is more than that. Fellowship is being engaged in one another's lives. Uh, Hebrews uh, 10 tells us. It is going to tell us, I promise you. <laughs> All right, there we go. Here we, now I go too far. <laughs> there it is. Praise God for the internet, right? (laughs) Or or for technology. Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our assembly together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. We're to encourage one another. We're We're to... it stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But that's part of fellowship. I want to know what's going on in your life. Because when I know what's going on in your life, I can come alongside you and say, Hey, let's do this together. You don't have to, you don't have to walk the Christian life by yourself. You walk together with other believers and you come alongside of each other. The nice thing about about being able to be in fellowship is that very rarely is everybody down at the same time. Because we all go through stuff. We all have things in our life. And when we're down, somebody else is up here. And they're saying, okay, I got you. I got you. I'm not going to let you fall. Come on. And, and pretty soon, we're, we're holding hands, we're together, and we're moving forward in Christ. They were in fellowship together. and said they were breaking bread. And I believe that this particular one, because it, there's twice it says that they broke bread together. This one is in the together section. And I firmly believe that he's talking about the institution of communion. Because Jesus instituted it, in the, at the Last Supper. And this was something that the early church, when they had communion, now we, we do communion as part of our service and it's very, very uh, a fairly short time. In the first church, historically it will tell you that they would come together and they would have a big meal together and then that would be part of the Last Supper. Because that's the way Jesus did it. You see, they had a pretty good example, didn't they? And so they came together in this big meal and they would share with one another. Matter of fact, Paul's going to write later in in Corinthians to warn them because they weren't doing it right because some of them were coming and and, and they would be eating a big meal and others were not eating at all. And they would come together and they would share together in remembering what? What? the Lord's Supper, the communion, the fact, because uh, 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 Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The fact that Jesus bled and died on the cross and rose again so that we could have eternal life. It, it would take them back to, to what Paul said. It's you were the ones that, that put him on the cross. That was part of what Peter said. And they would go back, and and folks, don't ever get over the fact of what Jesus did for you. You know, I was sitting here uh, as they were singing, Just As I Am, and and I remembered the day I got saved. that second verse, Just as I am, and waiting not, To cleanse my soul from wonder. I was standing as they started that second verse with my hands clenched on the back of the chair in front of me. And when they said, just as I am and waiting not was when the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to do it now. I don't ever want to forget that. Because that was the moment when Jesus became real to me. And, and they celebrated that time together through the communion. And then it says that they celebrated it in prayer. They celebrated with prayer. Now they had a whole lot to pray about, didn't they? they can you imagine? You're, you're, you're in Jerusalem and you're from Greece. Or you're from over here in Ethiopia. And you're like going, okay, what do I do now? Do I go home? There's nobody there to teach me. It's very likely that the Ethiopian eunuch that we're going to see in a couple chapters was in this group. What do I do? And I had to pray. Most of the people would say for years and years and years to make one journey to Jerusalem to go from Passover to Pentecost, and they were running out of money. What do I do? They began to pray together. And, and this is, remember, this is in the together part of it. This is corporate prayer. You see, we, we talk a lot about, oh, I, I, I pray at home, I pray uh, in my closet, and those are all important things, but corporate prayer is important. Because there's, there's a lot of power in corporate prayer. In Matthew chapter 18 it says again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name I am there in their midst. And he's talking about corporate prayer. Now I want you to think about something. If there's power in two or three, now how much more power is there in four or six or 12 or 18? You just keep that power. It becomes exponentially larger. John Wesley said there's nothing that has been done for Christ apart from prayer every major revival movement that has started in, in that we have recorded in history has always started with prayer and normally it's a couple of people a couple of people start getting together for prayer and then all of a sudden somebody else comes to join them and somebody else comes to join them and if you want to you can read every Great revival there is, and you'll find that they all started with prayer. And you, I hear a lot of people starting talking today about the United States needs to have a revival. Well, you know where it's going to start? It's going to start when we get serious about praying for it. Because what happens where two or three are gathered in my name? There I'm in their midst, and when God starts to work, and that multiplies and that multiplies then we're going to see great power. They were together in prayer. Well, uh, a couple other things happened. God gave the apostles a special power. Remember, the the, the, the Bible had not been written yet. And so a lot of what the apostles were talking about were things that the Holy Spirit was giving to them. And as they spoke that... They needed to have some have it authenticated. They needed to have some way to say what they're saying is true. And so God went back to what he did in the Old Testament. Remember what he did with Moses? When Moses was going to Pharaoh, and Moses, he said, well, why would Pharaoh believe me? And he says, what do you have in your hand? I have a stick. Throw it down. And you go, out came a snake. He said, pick it up. Came a staff again. And God says, I will authenticate your word by, by miracles. And, and, and he shows up before Pharaoh and, and he does his thing. And the magicians that were around there kind of mimic that and and. And, but pretty soon it gets to the point that, that Pharaoh has to say, the, the magicians come forward and say, we can't, we can't mimic that. It is the power of God. And Pharaoh could not, could not look at it and say, oh, this is just phony. He still had a hardened heart. But God did it with, with the prophets of old. He did it with Elijah he did it in the, uh, uh, with the prophets. When they would come to speak, God would give them miracles to show their authenticity. And when Jesus came, how did Jesus tell the people that he was the true son of God? He performed miracles. You think death has you? Are you worried about death? Come here, young man out of your casket. I'm going to give you back to mom. Lazarus has been in the grave four days. Lazarus, come forth. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Cast them out. Everywhere he went, his ministry was authenticated by miracles. And God gave them to the apostles because... The Word of God, the New Testament wasn't written yet, and He gave them special powers. Now I want you to notice one thing. He did not give the power to the 120. He gave it to the apostles. Miracles is not something somebody gets to jump up and say, Oh, I have the power of I have the power of miracles. We've seen people do that before, haven't we? But God says he gave it to the apostles because the apostles were the ones that needed to be authenticated. So he gave them that special power. Well, then we're going to get into this this next section where he talks about this thing about, oh, they had all things common. People sold off their stuff. It says, And all those who believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and sharing them with all those as anyone would have need. And everybody goes, whoa! (laughs) Do we really want to do that? I want you to understand where they're at though. They've got people who are in great need. There's people that have come from all over the world to be there. They don't have that. And there's also the people who were local who got kicked out of their families. They were Jewish. And if you, if you said, oh, I'm now a follower of, of Jesus, the Messiah, it was, pew, out you go. And most of them worked in a family business. So now they don't have a house, they don't have a job. What are they going to do? Now, understand this. Not everybody sold their house because it said they met from house to house. What I want you to see is that they shared their needs and they met those needs. You see, when they were together house to house, people would say, oh, man, I, I, I'm, I'm about out of money. I've been, I came here from Ethiopia. Ethiopia. I need some, the, the Howard Johnson's is full. You know, I'm out, you know, they, they kicked me out of the budget inn, Motel 6. I, I need, you know, and people say, okay, I've got a spare bedroom. Come stay with me. People be, and as they shared their needs, you see, most people will never know what your need is because you don't want to share it, right? Most people don't want to say, I'm broken, I need redemption. Most people don't want to tell people, I've got an addiction, and I need help. But when we share those needs, there are going to be those who will stand up and say, I can help you with that. You see, because at the same time that people are in need, there are those who God has blessed, and you can say, yeah, come on over. Let me take care of what the need is. That's what, what is happening here. This isn't some big hippie commune where everybody was, was, was sitting around singing Kumbaya. And, you know, it, that wasn't what was happening. It was people with needs and other people meeting those needs within the church. And most likely, they weren't just meeting the needs of the people in the church. They were also helping, because it says in the in 47, and they found favor with all people. They were getting involved in people's lives, and that's really what the church is all about. When we begin to, to share, first we have to share what our need is, because a lot of times we're we're pretty... We're pretty good at saying, "Oh, I don't want anybody to know." When we become vulnerable, there are people who can come alongside of us and say, "Guess what? I've been down the same road you've been in. I can, I can help you with that." I'm going to, Alan. I I hope you don't mind. I'm going to share a little story from Alan. Uh, He was, we were in class the other day, and and he said he, uh, Alan used to be a, a truck driver. And he got a new truck. And he put a big old fish symbol on the side of it. He said, if I'm going to drive truck, I want people to know this is God's truck. And, and he said people would flag him down and say, I see your thing on, on the side of your truck. Can I talk with you? Right? Somebody had a need and he, had, and he was there to answer that need. They were together. Well, the, the other thing they were doing is they were studying God's Word daily. Daily. They were studying God's Word. Now, they were going to the temple and the, the, they would hear the apostles preach, but then they were getting together and saying, oh, wow, what, uh, you know, how, what did that mean to you? How is that changing your life? Do you, do you need help with that? Because, you know, it's amazing how God brings things to us. I was sitting the other day reading an exodus. How many times have I read exodus in my life? And, and you know, you kind of breathe breeze through it. And, and my wife was sitting there and I said, I got to share this with you. I said, you know, th- there was two things. One is that God told Moses... I know your name. I know your name. How important is that? Oh man. I, I you know, we have a. Song. You remember the old song? And there's a new name written down in heaven, and it's mine. Oh yes, it's mine. Right? God knows my name, and if He knows my name, He knows what I need. He knows exactly what I'm going through. And the other thing. That, uh, that just kind of, I went, wait a second, I've never seen this before. Moses set up a tent outside of town, outside of the, outside of the group. And that's where God would meet him. And it was so holy that, that Moses had to wear a veil over his face. Right? When he went, and it said that Moses went out to the tent to meet with God, and then he went in to talk to the people. But there's one little snippet in there that says, but Joshua stayed in the tent. And I thought, wow. What was God doing with Joshua in the tent? He was preparing him to lead the people. He was prepared in the tent, in the presence of God. And I thought, you know, that's where, that is where God prepares us for the task ahead. Is spending time in his presence. Nobody else was there. Moses wasn't even there. Joshua was prepared in the presence of the Lord alone. Uh, you know, because it's real easy, I can tell you, from my, for, as a pastor, it's real easy to get caught up in, oh, so-and-so needs to see me, and so-and-so needs to see me, and I need to get ready for this Bible study, I need to talk to these people over here, and we got this project going on, and, and, and what it said to me is, if you want to be prepared, you have to be alone in the presence of the Lord. God does that when, we, when we're studying his word on a daily basis. God brings those to us and we can share those with others. Well, they were also engaging in hospitality. They were continuing of one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they were sharing their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were engaging in hospitality. And it's kind of a lost art today. It's a lost art to say, hey, come on over and let's sit down and have a meal together. Because a lot of us are kind of worried. Well, somebody may see my house has cobwebs in the corner. <laughs> well, goodness sakes, you know, or, or my, you know, what do I, you know, shove everything in the closet and slam the door. <laughs> Don't open that door. But just the simple the simple things of sitting down and having a meal together—they were sharing it from house to house. Oh, I remember those days growing we growing up where every Sunday, you know, it was like, "Well, well, can so and so come over?" Yeah, come on, you know, we—you never knew who was going to show up at our table on Sunday. And they would they would come on over and we'd find out who they were, what they, you know. It, it, and, and when we do that, God opens our hearts to one another. That's around the tables where a lot of times, you let those things slip, <laughs> that your heart you're, you're harboring over here. And God says, "Hey, I want you to be open with everybody." In Romans, okay, I'm going to be patient. I pressed the button. There it is. Maybe it's these longer verses. I'm going to, have to, I'm going to have to practice with it. Anyway, Romans chapter 12. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. See, you don't have to be perfect in hospitality. You can just practice at it. (laughs) And the more you practice at it, the better you get, right? But look at all of those things in there that come along with that. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. And that's not putting money in the offering. Donita will tell you about God's truck. She had a need when John was, John was with us. We needed to haul some stuff around. And she said, Pastor? She was, I, I have this need. I said, "I said, you know, okay. I've got a pickup. We can, we can haul it around. And, and a little while later, there was another need came up. And she said, I hate to ask you this, but can can you use your truck? To, and I said, it's not my truck. It's God's truck. And after that, it was all... Hey, Pastor, is God's truck available? (laughs) Well, yes, it is. Because it's not my truck. I think that's why it's got 260,000 miles on it and still keeps going. Because it's not my truck. It's God's truck. And that's the way, when we see a need and we have the ability to meet that need, and I'm telling you, folks, it happens in this church quite often. But you gotta know what the need is. And I love this verse. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For this is for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> We kind of, you know, today, in today's society, we get kind of leery of strangers, but I can tell you that God uses those to open our hearts. And who knows when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, somebody may come up to you and say, You know, that time when you paid for those groceries? in the grocery store for that single mom who was short that was me that was me sometimes God sends somebody along just to inspire us to open our hearts and we entertain the angels without knowing it well there's one more thing that happened as they were together On a daily basis, it says that people were getting saved every day. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. See, a lot of people believe, oh, the only place you can get saved is at church. You know, you got to come forward. You got to talk to the pastor. I got news for you. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that every one of us are to be witnesses to him. Every one of us are to be ready in season and out of season to tell what the hope is within us. And every day people were getting saved in those homes because unbelievers were seeing what was happening. Notice it says that they were having favor with all people. You see, when people begin to see God's church doing what it's supposed to be doing, they're going to go, what in the world is going on down there at Eastside? Why are there all, all those cars here, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? What's this deal with, a, what's an Awana? And they come in and they wander in and they say, wow. Look what's going on here. And I love it when I hear about people that get saved, not on Sunday morning, but in somebody's home. Just yesterday, I, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta stop the insanity. <laughs> right? We were, we were trying to get everything ready for my, for my mom's 90th birthday. We had to go to Fred Myers, we had to go to Costco, we had to go to Hobby Lobby. I sat in the car. <laughs> at Hobby Lobby. So so we're running around. Costco's our last thing, and I'm and I'm like going, you know, and, and God just kinda he threw a couple little side winks in there. You need to stop and do this. You know? And I and we did and Finally, we get, to, we get to Costco, and I grab my cart, and I'm telling, I am telling I look at Eileen, and I says, you go get the crackers, I'll go get the cakes. And lo and behold, we walk inside the door, and here's a, here's a sister of Christ. A- and she says, oh, how was your trip to Ecuador? Oh, I wish I had an hour and a half to tell you, but I, we're, we're on our way to my mom's thir- uh, 90th birthday party. And we got to get, and she says, i got to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, wait, put on the pastor face. What? She said, you know, my, uh, my daughter uh, is living with a man, and uh, they've been having all kinds of trouble. And she came over the other day, and she was saying, Mom, I, I don't know what to do. And, and uh, she said, well, honey, can I, would, you, would, would it be okay if I discipled you? Well, yeah. And so she's, she's been discipling her, her daughter. I, actually, it's a stepdaughter. She's, she's discipling her stepdaughter now. And she said, you want to know something cool? She said, the guy... That she's living with. That we, you know, we we've been praying about the fact that they're living together, you know. And uh, he he came and he said, "Would you disciple me too?" I am so glad I stopped. Amen. I am so glad. You know what? And we were. Guess what? The party went off anyway. (laughs) Even, Even though. We, we took this five minutes to hear what God is doing. And now I have an opportunity to pray for, the, for, for these folks. You see, sometimes we get so involved in the everyday that we forget there are people out there that are lost that need to know that Jesus loves them. That God has a wonderful plan for their life. If only they'll, they'll surrender their life to Christ. And I and I'm looking forward to the day now when I when I get back with this this couple and say, all right, tell me the rest of the story. How's it going? And, and you know because there are people out there. They've lost hope. There's a lady, elderly lady, standing outside of Fred Myers the other day. I mean, she's, uh, she's standing there with this little sign. And, folks, I've, I've worked with the homeless for years and years in my job as a police officer, and I tell people all the time don't give people money. But I see this lady, and, and I'm watching, and somebody stops and hands her a banana, and she's weeping. Because somebody stopped and handed her a banana. And so I, I, I went over. Just, I grabbed her. I said, you need a hug. And she said, yes, please. And I gave her a hug. And I said, you know what? God loves you. And I slipped a little bit of money in her hand. And she just stood there and wept. She needed to hear. God loves you. Because at that moment in time. Car after car after car after car went by. Sometimes we just need to let people know somebody cares. Well, we're gonna come to the time of communion. Just like these folks did, they shared communion together and to remind them of the the cost. The cost of salvation to remind them of of what Jesus did for us. You know, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We need to remember, you know, Jesus paid everything for us he gave everything for us is it too much for us to give a little back to him and I mean not just in money. I'm talking about our time and our talent and how we care for people he was the perfect example wasn't he Jesus took the bread as they sat with his twelve and he said this is my body which is broken for you take and eat Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And he says, this is my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sin. Take and drink all of it. He said, I did this for you. As we come to communion, I think it's okay to ask the question, Okay, God, you did this. You gave everything for me. What can I give back for you? What do you want to do with me in this world? Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to come alongside of? Because if Jesus could give his everything, we can give a little bit.